Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test? I'm Maddie. I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk about some things that you should have learned in school, but maybe didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we just go off on random rants about the stuff that's happened to us this week, which, oh man, this week. Yeah. This week. This week, our county commissioners decided that they were going to ignore 20 city leaders and lift all restrictions regarding COVID-19 precautions. Also, all of the surrounding counties have decided, no, we are going to stick with these precautions. So we are this little Petri dish bubble. Yes, and a lot of people who live here work in those places and vice versa. So no one is safe because of a couple of white supremacists on our board who would not listen to the doctor of color who's really the expert on any of this. Oh, God, he showed a level of patience with them that I just simply could not. He is an absolute professional. I feel like one of these days, though, because he's one of those quiet people, he will eventually erupt. I feel like when, when he is done, he goes home and complains at length to someone. Poor guy. Like, yeah. I would hate to be in his position right now. So, and we also had a lot of people from here who went down to the Ozarks last weekend, and shockingly, there was a confirmed case of COVID at the parties. Yep. There were so many potential exposures that they couldn't contact people individually. They had to use one of those emergency alert texts to tell you everywhere he went and the times he was there. Yeah, and then on top of that, of course, there is everything that has happened post the murder of George Floyd. Ugh, gosh, this... I hate everything that happened last week. Yeah, last week was a doozy. And watch, like, I was going to bed the other night, and I was like, okay, I'm tired, time for bed. And that's when Precinct 3 got burned down. And I spent the next several hours on Twitter. Thank you, Twitter, because you guys are really the most up-to-date people. Although, stop doxing people, especially if we don't have confirmations on anything. Also, Twitter, keep fact-checking and, like, you know, blocking off Trump. Trump's tweets. It makes him so mad. And then he goes golfing and he doesn't do anything all day. That's like, I feel like the best solution we have now is just, you know what? Let him golf. If he's golfing, he's not leading. And that's just preferable. Yeah. The world is crazy right now. Please stay safe out there. Yeah. I was actually late to work on Thursday because I was reading through the night before's news just in constant shock and awe. Yeah, and actually my topic today talks about some things that are very relevant to this entire topic. And just stay safe, guys. Stay safe. I actually had a different topic I was going to do, but it got a little bit too relevant. So it's like, I'm just gonna not do this one right now. Oh, spaghetti's drinking. We have our snake and she's out drinking her water. If you've never seen a snake drink water, it is the coolest thing. Like, go go look on YouTube for videos of snakes drinking. It is actually kind of hypnotic. Yeah. She's just, her head is just like kind of like pulsing. Yeah, it's super cool. I'm trying to think, did anything good happen this week? Like, um, I mean, Masked Singer is over, so we don't even have that to look forward to. And We started rewatching Buffy because oh, yeah. we needed our brain candy and Buffy is the best. Buffy isn't even brain candy. It's the good guys win. They don't win every time, but they win. Oh, I need the good guys to win for a little while. There is some stuff in that show that's like, Definitely dated, not just technology-wise, but like, uh, and fashion-wise, but also like, what was acceptable to say-wise. You know, I mean, it was 1997. It was a lawless time. 
Yeah, it's actually, that's actually something that bothers me when people say these shows are problematic and no one should watch them without taking into account the era in which they were made and how progressive they were in many ways for the time. The only example I can really think of where that's not an issue is the Dick Van Dyke show, which was highly, like, highly forward thinking for its time. And like, they had Rosemarie working in the office with, with Rob and she was an important part of the team, and she was an unmarried woman in her, I assume, 40s, although she was looking for a man the whole time. And I mean, Rosemary, you get yours. Get yours, Rosemary. Was, it, was she Betty White, or was that no, a different show? No, different okay. show. Uh, you're thinking of Mary Tyler Moore show, which also had okay. Mary Tyler Moore. And Mary Tyler Moore wore pants, and not just pants, but tight pants, <gasps> and looked slamming in them. I mean, there are a few times where he's like, you're the wife, go make dinner, but... That's about as problematic as that show gets. If you've never watched it, please watch it. It will just bring you so much joy. Well, I guess that's, I mean, that's all because yeah. if we were going to go too far into what happened this week, we would just get angry. Would, it would just be here two hours of exasperated sighs, some crying, some shouting, and just lots of anger and sadness. We might get a little bit of that during my piece. We'll find out. Don't worry. We're also going to get a little bit of that during my piece. Excellent. Because I'm going to talk about something that we definitely didn't learn in school and we absolutely should have. We don't learn anything about, really, about finances or money in school. They used to have classes for that, and it is still taught a little bit in family and consumer sciences or facts. But those are the classes that get canceled because they're not important. And then parents and people complain, why don't our kids learn these things? Because you canceled the class. My entire financial education in school was in the fifth or sixth grade Uh when we went to Exchange City and we learned how to balance a checkbook and what a job was because we were idiots and didn't know that apparently. And what I actually learned was I worked, basically I was doing graphic design at the sign store. So I was making everybody signs and (laughs) our boss got arrested for walking in the grass <laughs> before he could sign any of our paychecks. And since none of us had money, we couldn't bail him out. <laughs> so what we did was we forged checks with his names on them so we could get paid to bail him out. And we also bribed a cop. So that's what my <laughs> financial education in school was. See, mine was... It's, it's, oh, it wasn't a real cop. It was another sixth grader who had a policeman's hat on. I moved here after Exchange City. Like, everybody talks about that, and I missed it. But when I was in fifth grade, we learned about the stock market and how to buy and sell and what to do with stocks. I couldn't tell you a goddamned thing I learned in that class other than, this seems too risky, I'll just get paychecks. We might have learned a little bit about that, too. But, like, just that they existed, not any real things about them. I mean, the only real in-depth education we got about the stock market was Great Depression, which doesn't put a whole lot of faith in it. Oh, no. Well, I'm actually going to talk about something that happened a little bit before the Great Depression. The Jazz Age. It wasn't the Jazz Age. (laughs) And it's also something we should have learned about because it's a prolific scheme and a con that has been played on people for over 100 years. And we don't get taught about it. And we really need to because it's the Ponzi scheme. Ooh. So here's more or less how it works. Investors are lured in with promises of reliable, fast returns on their investments. Plainly put, it's like, say, hey, I've got a surefire thing. If you give me $5,000, I'll double your money in 90 days. Well, they do do that because they'll start giving you some returns on your investment. But then they're not actually investing it in anything. What they're doing is they're getting other people to invest in it, then using those people's investments to pay returns on other people's investments. Mm -hmm. 
So it's basically, it's like a pyramid. You get two people to invest initially, then you get four people to invest so you can pay off those two people and so on and so forth until the entire thing collapses because you have everyone who can invest has invested in it and you can no longer make these returns. So it collapses, everyone realizes you've been conning them and you have to flee the country with bags of money. Kind of reminds me of all the jobs interviews I went on in insurance companies. I'd go in and they'd be like, okay, so we're not going to give you leads. You're going to start with your friends. And when you get them to buy the insurance, they'll give you leads to other people who'll buy the insurance. And you're going to be so rich. I actually looked at one guy and I said, my friend, friends can't afford this. And he's like, well, they can't afford not to have it. I'm like, I've got friends with kids on a single income that is not a well-paying income. And he looked at me, he goes, that's not real. People can't do that. Yep. Welcome to America. And yeah, that's. I'm going to get into those two at the end of this. Cause he also asked me if I was planning on having kids anytime soon. They can't legally ask that walk out. Yep. So... These can take a long time to collapse, especially if you keep telling the investors to reinvest, hoping they'll get even higher returns. So it can take a long time for these collapse. They can be hard to see. And people think, oh boy, money, I can't lose. And they lose. This type of fraud has been going on basically for forever. It's been called stuff like, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul and other similar things. But it got its modern name from Carlo, Pietro, Giovanni, Guglielmo, Tebaldo, Ponzi. I hope he went by that, like, the whole name. He was Italian. Mm, I imagined. Uh, he was born in 1882 in Parma, Italy. He immigrated to America in 1903, and allegedly, from a New York Times interview, he arrived with only $2.50 in his pocket and a million dollars in hopes. He worked as a dishwasher, and he worked his way up to being a waiter, and then he was fired for theft and shortchanging his customers. So he moved to Canada, got involved in a bank that did something very similar to a Ponzi scheme that closed down and the owner had to flee to Mexico with with all of the money. Mm-hmm. Then he got arrested for uh, basically forging checks. Like I did at Exchange City, but I didn't get caught. Oh, shit. Do you think like the Exchange City cop is listening to this now and is going to come after me all these years? We didn't have a statute of limitations in Exchange City laws. Do you think he became a real cop? She and I don't know. Please, how how dare you assume our cop was a man? Did you just assume her gender? I assumed that only a man would agree to get to let this go. <laughs> oh yeah, she's not gonna let this go. I I have incriminated myself. I'm going to go on the run. My name is now. Are you gonna announce your new name? Smart move. I'm not. Let me continue my story though. His name is now Carlo Ponzi. Please, uh, Carlo Pietro Giovanni Guglielmo Temblado Ponzi. No one will ever suspect a thing. Nope, no one will know. He got arrested in Canada, went to jail, where he claimed he was actually just the warden's assistant, and that's why he was in jail. Then- (laughs) How did Isn't he in a cell? Yeah, but he was telling people, I'm just the warden's assistant. I just live here. It's my room and board. (laughs) Then, um, after he got out of jail there, he went back to America- and got involved in smuggling illegal Italian immigrants into the United States, where he got arrested again. And when he got out that time, he moved to Boston, and he ended up started doing his first big, real big thing that started the Ponzi scheme. He was going to make money off of international reply coupons. This is something we don't use anymore, because, you know, it's the modern era. But basically, these IRCs were something you could buy in one country and send with your correspondence so the person in the other country could trade in this voucher to get postage to mail something back to you. Hello, I am Nigerian Prince. Yeah, it's very similar. So Ponzi figured out that he could buy these 
in Italy where postage is much cheaper due to inflation after World War I and then bring them to America, trade them in for American stamps, and then sell the stamps and make a profit. So he set up a stock company and got people to invest in it. And then he got more people to invest and more people to invest. And he promised to double their investments in three months. And he formed his company, the Security Exchange Company. Word spread and on the returns he was delivering. And by July 1920, he was making close to $1 million a week. Uh, he even hired salesmen and paid them a commission based on every dollar they managed to bring in to his stamp buying scheme. But he was actually operating this entire time at a huge loss. But... So many investors were coming in, he ne he kept making money just because people kept giving him money. And he would take money from anybody. A bank in Lawrence, Kansas invested $10,000, <laughs> which screwed all of their bank customers. Yeah. His own chauffeur invested majority of his savings. Oh, what a dick. Anyone who approached him to invest in his scheme with any amount of money was taken in. Like newspaper boys with their like $5 they had saved up. Like, you know, rich people, poor people. Anyone who approached him with money was able to. People were mortgaging their property to get in on his money-making fund because banks were only pay were paying a 5% interest at the time. That's way higher than now. So much higher than now. But he was promising like a 50% re interest rate, more or less, on his investment. Like I was looking at savings accounts. I'm like, we give a remarkable 1.5% interest. I'm like, so it'll take me 20 years to see a few dollars because yes. I'm poor. We are poor. And so people kept paying in and paying in. And people he was paying dividends to kept putting their dividends back in so they'd make more money off uh, of this. Uh -huh. Which dividends are like basically shares of profit that are given out to investors as payment. So. Yeah, that's what he was doing. He never actually figured out how to make money off of these IRCs. Mm -hmm. Because at the rate he was ha would have had to sell them to be making any level of profit, there would have to be entire cargo ships filled with nothing but these paper vouchers. So the IRCs themselves were legal. They were legal. What his original plan was shady and taking advantage of the government, but legal. Yeah, I don't mind a little bit of shady, a little bit of taking advantage of the government, but, but he, taking advantage of paper boys, not okay. But he wasn't actually investing it. Uh-huh. It was logistically impossible for him to actually make any money doing this. But he kept getting new investors, and he kept making lots of money, and Ponzi lived large. He bought a mansion in Boston, bought owning shares in banks, he bought a wine company and a macaroni company. Oh, he's living his best life. Living his best wine life. Wine and macaroni. He's Italian. He bought a locomobile, which was the luxury car of 1920. Is it like based on a train or is it just a super crazy car? I think it's based on a train or it could have been super crazy. I don't know. It was 1920. It could have been both. He bought himself the mystery machine. Yeah. He brought his mom to America from Italy in a luxury liner in her own stateroom. And when she died, he donated it $100,000 to an orphanage in her name. Okay. And he also had money in dozens of bank accounts all over America. There was some suspicion, of course. A financial writer for the Boston Post said there was no way he was making this money legally. So Ponzi sued him for libel and won $500,000 in damages. I talk about that today too. Not about him, but, but libel. When you can sue people for libel. Yeah, because back in the day, it's like the burden of proof was different. So it's like, you're libeling me. It's like, oh, okay, you got me. I have to pay you money. So after that, 
it limited probes into his business practices because of this large suit he won. But it all started to collapse when the Boston Post, the same people he sued, started digging deeper after that. Yeah, you gotta love journalists. Yeah. They do so much like law enforcement style work. They hired Clarence Barron, the financial journalist of the Dow Jones and Company. Oh, damn. From that Dow Jones. Mm -hmm. To investigate Ponzi. He found a couple of things. First, Ponzi did not invest his own money in his company because it was a fraud. Secondly, he noted that for him to be making any money off of these postal coupons, he'd have to be purchasing around 160 million of them. I doubt they were imprinting that many. Nope. He asked the post office and they had only about 27,000 total in circulation. Wow. They also had no records of any being bought in significant numbers. Wow. So this article caused a mild panic among some of his investors. And in a week, sorry, in three days, he had to pay out $2 million in people trying to get out of his fund. But then he went around with coffee and donuts to people and got them to continue to invest their money with him. That would work on me. Well, I mean, not not if they're like those wussy donuts. I mean, I need some like Dunkin' or better. He was Italian and in Boston, they have those really good bakeries. He probably had the good fucking donuts. Boston is also the home of Dunkin' Donuts. America runs on Dunkin'. It does. Don't bring me that Krispy Kreme shit in here. <laughs> Krispy Kreme is only good when it's warm. I like. I do like. Unless watching... they want to sponsor us, in which case you're the best Krispy Kreme. I do love watching the Krispy Kreme donuts get made. I do have... too. Because it's cool. So after that, Ponzi hired a publicist to help keep on top of things. Mm-hmm. He hired William McMasters. But the publicist became suspicious because Ponzi kept going on and on about the brilliance of his stamp scheme and how he was making all this money. So the publicist started to doubt him and would later refer to Ponzi as a financial idiot. If anybody ever tells you I'm really smart, they're not. Yeah. Uh, McMaster has actually found incriminating documents on Ponzi and took them to the Boston Post where they paid him $5,000 for it and they ran an article showing Ponzi was actually millions of dollars in debt. And from there, the Massachusetts Bank Commission and federal investigators got involved. Kill it, journalists. Kill it. It all fell apart from there. Counts were frozen. Assets were seized. He was going to like try and finally pay out and basically take all of the money out of these banks he had invested in and run. But they got to him before he could do that. (laughs) And he was charged with mail fraud and larceny. Isn't mail fraud what like, was it Al Capone went to jail for? Al Capone, yeah. Lots of people have gone to jail for for mail fraud. Yeah, mail can, fraud, they can get you like for anything with that. Especially, and it's amazing. Especially if it's anything that goes across a state line, it becomes federal. And we they talked can get about you for that, that in too. our birth control episode. Yeah. Mail crossing state lines is a bigger crime. Yeah. So he ended up defrauding people of an estimated $20 million. Wow. Which is $193 million, give or take, in now money. Did he keep a record of who these people were? If he did, they didn't find it. Oh, no. His investors only received about 30 cents on the dollar of what they had invested. People were absolutely ruined by this. Yeah. On every economic level. So this was bad. Ponzi was sentenced to five years in federal prison for his 86 counts of mail fraud. Our legal system is so weird with how much time you get for crimes like this guy yeah the mail fraud but he stole from a whole lot of people but they also willingly did it so you rob one bank like 20 years in prison you rob all the banks you get five Mm -hmm. but he was also indicted on 22 state charges of larceny this actually went to the supreme court because he said no you can't charge me on this because i took a federal plea deal for these five years Mm -hmm. 
so you can't charge me for this a second time. It went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and they said, no, they can absolutely charge you a second time for this. Yeah, because it's not the same charges. Yeah, it's not the same charges. So he was indicted on 22 state larceny charges in Massachusetts and ultimately ended up being sentenced for nine more years. However, in 1922, it was discovered that Ponzi had never actually obtained legal citizenship in America. Oh, damn. So federal officials began the process of having him deported to Italy as an undesirable immigrant. Mm -hmm. It gets better, though. In 1925, Ponzi was out of prison on bail while they were appealing his case. Yeah, because he's not a flight risk. Well, he fled to Florida. Where all good people flee. Where he tried to sell real estate, promising a 200% return in 60 days. Did he even change his name to do this? Nope. Oh my god. He changed his company name. I think it was the Capon Company, which was his first name and last name. Genius. Ugh. Um, he was actually selling swampland, some of which was underwater. <laughs> he was again tried and convicted by Florida almost immediately, but fled again while on bail. Of course, because we should keep putting people on bail who fled. But got caught trying to flee the country in New Orleans. He had shaved his head and grown a beard. I will Finally. say, you look like a different person with and without a beard. I, know. I see it. I, I, don't, see it. I don't like having the beard gun. I, I need to shave again, and I'm getting stubble. Yeah, he shaved his beard so that masks would fit better. And they just get itchy and hot otherwise. If you're wearing a mask and you've got a beard, I would recommend shaving. It's so much more comfortable. Yeah, and if there are Sikh doctors who are doing that so that they can make sure that they and their patients are staying safe... You can do it if you just like having a beard. Yes. So in 1934, after Ponzi was released from prison, he was deported to Italy. He tried to appeal to the president and also uh, Mussolini (laughs) to get this rescinded. It was not. And he was sent back to Italy where he got a job working for an airline that went out of business when World War II started. And he died alone and broke in Brazil in 1949. How did he get to Brazil? I don't know. He died alone. He stole and- the last remaining plane from the airline. Yeah, And in his last interview he gave, he was not at all apologetic. And he said, if anything, people should be happy I stole their money because of how good I got them. Because of how good I got them? Yeah. He fooled people so well, they should have been happy to have been a part of his game. I feel like he would have been in the Trump administration. Oh, Trump would have 100% pardoned Ponzi. Oh, yeah. So now, how to avoid the Ponzi scheme. The Security and Exchange Commission, not to be confused with Ponzi's company, the Security Exchange Company. Oh, my God. Has this list of red flags. First, high investment returns with little or no risk. Every investment carries a degree of risk, and investments yielding higher returns typically involve more risk. Be suspicious of any guaranteed investment opportunity. Mm -hmm. Overly consistent returns. Investment returns tend to go up and down over time, especially those offering potentially high returns. Be suspect of an investment that continues to generate regular, positive returns regardless of overall market conditions. Unless you have a salaried job, in which case it should remain steady. If your paychecks go down, you need to figure out what's going on. Yep. Unregistered investments and unlicensed sellers. Basically, investments typically involve are registered with the SEC or state regulators. And sellers are also, by federal and state law, registered sellers. So if they're not registered, you can look up to see if they're registered. If they're not registered, huge red flag. 
Mm-hmm. If there's any issues with the paperwork, like don't accept excuses about paperwork. If you can't review information about an investment in writing or the statements have errors or inconsistencies, that might be signs that funds are not being invested as promised. Okay. So look out for inconsistencies with your paperwork. If there's difficulty receiving payment, be suspicious. If you not receive payment or have difficulty cashing out your investment, that is another red flag. So all of those things, good ways to avoid these types of scams. Uh-huh. Now you may ask yourself, this was 100 years ago. We have Google now. We still can't be falling for this, right? Sure, because people really definitely know how to use Google. Wrong. In 2009, Bernie Madoff defrauded investors of nearly $18 billion. Mm-hmm. dollars mm-hmm. much of which was never recovered mm-hmm. there are some theories that bernie madoff was simply the fall guy and other companies basically made off with the profits in secret <laughs> made off with the profits. made off yeah he however madoff is serving a 150 year sentence that seems a little more on par with what should be happening so much more on par and he wasn't young when that started so 150 yeah. years from now he'll probably be oh, dead oh he's most certainly going to die in prison unless he's a highlander which good luck getting a broadsword into a prison to decapitate bernie madoff we know that the first person who will ever reach 150 years old is chris traeger yes oh chris traeger he's just both the best and worst i was absolutely sure he was going to be a villain he was the villain kind of but he was the villain in such a upbeat happy way it didn't seem like it he's he is like straight up lawful good yes like i don't want i don't like do it having to enforce this law but i have to enforce this law but i still love you but i have to enforce the law yes oh chris traeger in 2019, state and federal officials found and halted 60 Ponzi schemes. Jesus. That had in total $3 billion of investor funds. The SEC also expects even higher numbers in 2020 because of the economic Ugh. downturn and continued cuts to regulations. Yeah, and the fact that so many people are unemployed and desperate. Yeah, or companies like, oh my God, we're losing money. But hey, people are getting returns on this. We should invest in this. Mm-hmm. So watch out, people. 2020 is going to be worse for these. The SEC, in the same, basically, public statement, makes this advice also applies to pyramid schemes or multi-level marketing schemes, like the insurance thing you were talking about earlier. Ugh, I... So many... And these insurance companies, I would apply for, like, training and development jobs, and I'd go in, and they were like, nope, it's a sales position. I should have walked out. I'm too Midwestern polite. Midwestern politeness leads to a lot of problems with Ponzi schemes because you're afraid to ask these hard questions and be like, hey, like, what's wrong with this? Oh, it's fine. It's like, well, okay. Don't be Midwestern polite when it's money shit. Yeah, show me all of your documents. And also, I'm not going to name any companies when I'm talking about this because they are extremely litigious, but you know the ones I'm talking about. You know, when you, on Facebook, when someone you half remember from English class back in high school friends you and they really want you to buy some leggings from them, that's probably one of these multi-level marketing or pyramid scheme companies. I did buy a pair of leggings from one of them once. It was a random person on Facebook. It was my unicorn leggings, the rainbows. Those were good leggings. Those were good leggings. So basically, I'm going to make a fake company then. I'm going to try and sell you some podcast wax. Podcast makes, wax. Podcast wax. It makes your podcasts better. Faster, more streamlined, market revenue, profits. But hey, the real money is in getting other people to sell podcast wax. If you start selling podcast wax, I get a cut of what you make and you get a cut of what they make. And then they start selling it to other people down the line. And eventually we're all making money because it's all going up. And you just have people spelling podcast wax for you. Does that sound like a great plan? That You're self-employed. Awesome. You can make thousands of dollars. That sounds awesome. Sign me up. 
I'm not even going to ask what podcast wax is. Why, it's podcast wax. It's wax for your podcast. Here's a note. Basically, nobody makes any money off of these. 99% of people who get into one of these multi-level marketing programs lose their money. I did. They are also barely legal. Yeah, I, I kind of fell victim to one in my desperate, desperate, high poverty mid-20s. And the products were good. Like, they legitimately were. They worked. They were... I never made a single sale. Yeah. Well, no, I did. I made one sale. So most people lose money on these. And it is very predatory, especially to high poverty people or young people or just people who have not had this level of financial education about these being scams. Hi. I love you. It's like, I'm generally a pretty smart and logical person, but I trusted the person who got me into it. I had known them for a while. So just because you know and trust somebody, they could be just, they could fully believe what they're saying because they've also been drawn in. Yeah, it's like, Usually it's the people on the lower levels who don't know it's a scam. It's the people way up there who are making millions of dollars on this who are being absolutely predatory with these things. And it's, there are definitely, there's some that are worse than others. And again, I can't name any of them because I am afraid of lawsuits, even from our tiny, tiny podcast. Yeah, I know some lovely people who work for these and they, I mean, they don't make a living necessarily, but they do it because they actually believe in the product and they enjoy what they do. And that's what it kind of comes down to is if they're having fun with it and not spending too much of their own money, I don't see the harm as long as the company is vetted and legal. Yeah. Do your research first before you decide to start selling me, you know, essential oils on Facebook, which also the you can make money selling stuff on Facebook is also another lie they tell you. Because let's say, for instance, they say, oh, you have 300 friends on Facebook. Well, if just 1% of them buy, that's three sales right there. And then you can start making money. But actually, of those 300 people, they also have dozens of other people trying to sell these products to them at the yes. same time from other parts of the market. So you're not going to make money. The people who want to buy this have already bought this from someone else further up the chain. So don't do it. And this also leads me to a second point, which is the sunk cost fallacy. Sunk cost fallacy? Fallacy. It is, well, I've already spent $500 oh. trying to make money off of this. If I stop, I need to stick to it because eventually I'll start making money. Yeah, it's it's kind of like Harold and Kumar where they realize that they've left something in the apartment and they're down the hall, but they've gone too far. Yes, it is that. It's like you have not gone too far. Sometimes you need to cut your losses. And a lot of times with these pyramid schemes, you need to cut your losses sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I gather some of them like demand a certain amount of money for you if you want to get out to. Yes. Like do not, that is not a legitimate business. If they're saying if you want to unjoin, you have to pay us, that's bullshit. Do not sign up. That's like, that's like mafia shit. Mm -hmm. So just stop. You are not a business owner. You won't make money. You are not selling the product. You are the product. Yeah, I actually follow this really great blog called Ask a Manager. And somebody was like, I haven't worked in X amount of time, but I've been working for one of these MLMs. Should I put myself as a business owner on my resume? And she said, absolutely not. You are not considered a business owner by most state standards. And I recommend leaving it off entirely. Because it makes you seem gullible to this potential employer. Mm-hmm. The only, ex- she's like, I might make an exception if you've been a stay-at-home parent for a long time and this was a side hustle, but she's like, for the most part, it doesn't, it doesn't give you a good look. So yeah, are you ready for some questions? Yes. Will Ponzi's entire name be on the test? I hope it's a spelling test too. Oh my God, that would be the meanest question. <laughs> it's like, hey, remember this guy we talked about? Spell his entire name, all 27 of them. <laughs> 
No, I think it'll just be Carlo Ponzi. Yep. Will the fact that Ponzi was basically the most embarrassing Italian stereotype ever be on the test? He bought a macaroni factory. He brought his mama to America. There's nothing wrong with bringing your mama to America. Yeah. No, they won't talk about Italian stereotypes. No. Will the fact that these schemes are still going on and are becoming more and more prevalent be on the test? Yes. And will the fact that 99% of people involved in MLMs lose their money be on the test? If they're actually teaching a class on this and it's not some kind of weekend seminar about how you can make all this money, yes, it'll be on the test. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about those weekend seminars. So Yeah, yeah. just cut. We'll give you a free vacation. All you have to do is sit here for a few hours. Yep. So that is my Ponzi scheme. All right. So anyway, speaking of Ponzi schemes, I just need all of you to go out there and get three more people to start listening to this podcast. <laughs> All of you. Then you'll get a podcast premium membership once you can prove that, in which you'll get rewards. The rewards will be us continuing to make the podcast in the exact same way we currently are. You'll get some behind-the-scenes access and cat Instagram posts. As of today. On our OnlyFans page. As of today, we have made exactly zero dollars off of this podcast, but we have sunk in a good amount of money. We're too far gone. We're too far gone. We have to keep spending money on this. Well, I'm here today to talk about freedom of the press. Oh, good. Hey, guys, I just want to jump in and say we recorded this episode on May 30th. More things have happened with journalists since then. We're not ignoring it. That just hadn't happened yet. So keep that in mind while you're listening on. I'm sure more crazy things are going to happen. My sources are Wikipedia, CNN, Variety, Reporter Herald, South China Morning Post, Birmingham Live, U.S. Press Freedom Tracker, ACLU, Civil Rights Litigation Group, Reporters for the Committee, or Reporters Committee for the Freedom of the Press. Woo! Said it all in one breath. You did. I'm very impressed. So, in our episode about the Spanish flu, I talked about how most of Europe and the U.S. prevented news sources from reporting on the flu making the whole thing way worse. And it's called the Spanish flu because they allowed reporting, not because Spain caused it. Yes. In fact, it started in Fort Riley, Kansas. Kansas. That should be on our flag. <laughs> Home of the Spanish flu. Oh, I mean, we're doing our damn best to cause a second one. Now we have a president who actively fights against the media on a regular basis. You missed her air quotes when she said president. Mm-hmm. But that's not why I'm talking about freedom of the press today. Why are you talking about freedom of the press? Over the last several days with the riots and protests because of George Floyd's murder happening across the country, there have been multiple reports of journalists and other types of reporters being shot with rubber bullets, hit with tear gas, and we have seen people get arrested and have other things happen on live TV. Yes, if you haven't seen the footage of the C- the black CNN reporter getting arrested for being in be, for reporting while black while the white one a block away was being assisted by the police officers you need yeah, to watch it I'll talk about him and of course there was also the attack on the CNN building in Atlanta but it's worth noting which has not come up especially from the Trumpsters who are like they're finally fighting back against fake news you know what's inside the CNN building what a police precinct oh. there is literally a police precinct inside the CNN building So the early on people who were vandalizing, I saw a lot of white guys with red hats. I mean, they could have been Atlanta Braves fans. Much like here, we have all of the Chiefs fans that make me pause for a second all the fucking time. Mm -hmm. But most likely the majority of the protesters were ultimately going after the police station and not the CNN reporters. And I will say in this case, the police did not at any point try to stop the reporters from reporting from the inside of the building. Granted, they were a little preoccupied. So I was wondering, does it violate freedom? 
freedom of the press if police stop the press? Or is it only the government itself that can stop people from publishing things they don't like? The First Amendment states, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or the press, or the right of people to peaceably assemble and petition the government for redress of grievances. I could go in depth about each part of this and how they have or have not been violated since the start of COVID. You've been allowed to worship and have freedom of speech this whole time, but I won't. I'm focusing on the freedom of the press part. Who exactly are the press? In Lovell versus the city of Griffin in 1938, which was about a Jehovah's Witness who was arrested for circulating materials without permission from the city manager, Chief Justice Charles Evans Hughes, and this is her local Supreme Court justice, not Supreme Court, Supreme Court, defined the press as, quote, every sort of publication which affords a vehicle of information and opinion. Over the years, this has since been reinterpreted to mean newspapers, TV and radio media, and books as well as plays, movies, and video games. Has it been applied to the internet yet, or is that well, case still pending? Okay, so the internet as a whole, I actually took out the part about the- The internet um, is a whole. Oh, no, I didn't take it out. Did I? The Privacy Act thing, uh, Piracy Act thing they tried to do a few years ago, where they tried to limit the internet being able to publish things, that Obama was like, fuck that, and shelved it. Yeah. News sources can report on anything they need to online. Blogging is a gray area. So basically, your aunt talking about essential oils is not freedom of the press, and you can stop her. It's still freedom of speech, though. Okay, good. Uh, So freedom of the press has been an issue since before the United States was the United States. When we were simply just colonies, the British tried to halt publication and dissemination of materials they didn't approve of. The earliest case involving this was when John Peter Zinger of the New York Weekly Journal, one of two newspapers in New York City, was sued for libel by British Governor William Cosby. Bill Cosby? Bill Cosby. In 1733, Zinger published his dissatisfaction with Cosby, who was fighting with colony council members over his salary. Was he was he not getting enough money from his Jello pudding pops? That's the only thing I can say that's funny about Cosby anymore. Well, the way he marketed his sweaters was pretty excellent too. Yeah, I'm that whole thing bums me out. Cosby Show is so fucking groundbreaking, and he, I, I, I can't. I'm, yeah, I can't. So he was ultimately acquitted after only ten minutes of jury deliberations. Interestingly, his paper later published a series called Cato's Letters, which I think were mentioned in history class, but not gone into in depth, and I'm not going to either. But they were written by two British men named John Trenchard and Thomas Gordon, focusing on the corruption, immorality, and tyranny within the British government. Cato's Letters was later published as a book, and it became very popular in the United States and in Britain, and it was republished over many, many years. And then there were the amendments. Then came the 20th century. Ooh. Drake- Fast for- Ah! Ah! Okay, Draco, you're going downstairs. Our cat just tried to knock over the microphone. If you heard, like, scritching noises, he was, like, trying to knock over our sound dampener, too. He got fed. I don't know what he wants. He wants attention. So, but in the 20th century, there were six major Supreme case court Supreme Court cases over the freedom of the press. First one was in 1931, which was near versus Minnesota, where it was determined that targeting publishers of news considered malicious or scandalous was in violation of the First Amendment. So just because you didn't like what they said, you couldn't do anything about it. In 1945, the Associated Press versus the United States, the news lost, but they deserved to lose. The court decided that the AP had violated the Sherman Antitrust Act 
because they didn't allow their news to be spread to non-members of the AP, and they didn't allow other people to join, basically creating a monopoly and restricting access to the public. The Supreme Court argued that under the First Amendment, news can't be repressed in order for a private entity to maintain control and earn money. Ooh. In 1964, the New York Times Company versus Sullivan case determined that papers can publish things that speak ill of public representatives or others so long as the person written about can't prove that the source acted with malice, meaning that the source didn't know they were lying. So you can publish things that are negative about any major public figure so long as it is not an outright lie and you know it's an outright lie. Okay, so like, that's good. Mm-hmm. Now, this, this actually feeds relates directly to that. This is in 1970, the Greenbelt Cooperative Publishing Association, Inc. versus Bresler. Dorothy Sucker, I'm going to assume, covered a city council hearing in which Charles S. Bresler, a developer, was trying to get variances to build high-density housing on his land, while the city wanted to purchase part of the same land to, buy, to build a school. He said that he would sell them that part of the land if they granted him the variance so he could build the housing. Suger quoted a resident who said, It seems like this is a sli- it seems that this is a slight case of blackmail. Bresler sued, stating that the word blackmail, even as a quote from a witness, was libelous. He won in his county, but the Supreme Court ruled unanimously to overturn that ruling. Since Bresler was a member of the Maryland House of Delegates, the court determined that he was a public figure and said since he couldn't prove malice, he could not win this. With Associated Justice Potter Stewart writing, quote, Even the most careless reader must have perceived that the word was no more than rhetorical hyperbole. This ruling basically allows news sources to use quotes from other sources and use hyperbole so long as they aren't lying. So if a source said Donald Trump is not president... And that then they said they, they would have to say this person believes this, but we know it is that he is actually president. Now, if they were if they said this person is not my president, they could print that without having to clarify anything. Yes, because they could be Canadian. Or if they said something like there are trillions and trillions of people who feel this way, you would know that's hyperbole. Yep. The New York Times returned to the courts in 1971 in New York Times Company versus the United States. This is a good one that could have its whole episode, so I shortened it real short because it's a lot. Nixon is involved. Ooh. He claimed executive authority to force the New York Times to not publish classified information they had obtained. In this case, it was the Pentagon Papers. (gasps) These detailed the U.S. involvement in Vietnam between 1945 and 1947. The New York Times stated that these proved that the American people had been lied to as had Congress, and the documents themselves showed that they had been lied to. The Supreme Court ruled that the First Amendment protected their right to print classified materials that they had obtained. So news can print classified materials. In 1972, for Brandsburg versus Hayes, Paul Brandsburg of the Louisville Courier-Journal had seen people manufacturing and using hashish, then wrote two articles about it. Both used anonymous sources, which which was brought to the attention of law enforcement, who were like, oh, you found people using hashish, which is illegal. You need to tell us who they were so we can go arrest them. Brandsburg said, no, I am not releasing my sources and I don't have to. Well, he was brought before a grand jury and ordered to name his sources. And around the same time, Earl Caldwell of the New York Times 
Jones and Paul Pappas, a TV reporter in Massachusetts, had the same thing happened regarding interviews with the Black Panthers. All three refused to name sources and were held in contempt. This actually had a split 5-4 decision at the Supreme Court level and the reporters lost. The majority said that the court was being asked to, quote, grant newsmen a testimonial privilege that other citizens do not enjoy, and quote, from the beginning of the country, the press has operated without constitutional constitutional protection for press informants. Basically saying, well, this has never happened before. <laughs> you guys been able to do this before. Why can't you just keep doing it? Which I hate that argument. Like, yeah. this is the way we've always done things, so just keep doing it that way. All right, cool. Let's keep using a printing press. However, they did say that their decision was limited in nature, and decisions about whether press can be forced to name sources must be determined on a case-by-case basis and show a lot of cause. And if I understood it correctly, it can only happen in front of a grand jury and not a regular jury. Yep. Yeah, because this pops up like all, you'll see this like every few years in which a newspaper will get a source and then usually the FBI or the CIA is going to come forward and say, excuse me, we need to know your source. And they'll say no. And then they will refuse and they'll end up in jail for like a year. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, priests, pastors, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous don't have these same restrictions and don't really have to name anything. They like If a, someone comes into a confessional and says, I murdered six people, the priest in most states does not have a legal obligation to report it. It doesn't mean they won't. Like, I heard a case recently where a priest was like, no, I have limitations on what I feel comfortable not sharing. I think it was a child rape case. And he was like, I'm going to go tell the cops that you're a child rapist, which is uh, what they should be doing. And there was also a big thing with Alcoholics Anonymous where somebody admitted that they didn't really remember, but they're pretty sure they murdered somebody while they were drunk. And so it turned into this big thing of, do we tell the police? And then someone in there ultimately did. And it turned this whole big to do because AA and NA are both supposed to be confidential and anonymous. So the press actually is more forced to tell on people than these specific citizens are. But if you or I knew about a murder, we would be required to tell. Yep. So now we're in the 21st century. And the big question is whether bloggers and social media users are covered by freedom of the press. You asked about this earlier. Yes. While everyone is protected by freedom of speech, can they be further protected by freedom of the press for things like libel? Uh, Libel is in writing, slander is in speech. In 2011, the Stop Online Piracy Act aimed to go after copyright infringement by forcing internet service providers to restrict access to sites that encourage or trade in piracy, which is taking copyrighted material and disseminating it for free. You might need to pay a membership to the site, but you'll be spending less money overall on the copyrighted materials. Don't steal art. Both sides argue that they do want to protect these copyrighted materials. Nobody wanted you stealing people's music or other work. But that SOPA, the acronym for the act, could result in censorship based on the whims of the courts or individual ISPs. Basically, the language was too broad and couldn't result in new censorship. And Obama was like, fuck that and shelved it. And then in 2014, we had Obsidian Finance Group LLC versus Cox. Blogger Crystal Cox said Obsidian and Kevin D. Patrick were guilty of corrupt and fraudulent conduct. I didn't know exactly what she was talking about and I didn't go find her blog. The court dismissed most of her blog posts as opinion and therefore protected by freedom of speech. However, one post was factual and therefore defamatory. Isn't it like bananas that telling the truth can be what's illegal in this? Lying about people all over the Mm -hmm. internet, fine. 
telling the truth about them with evidence to back it up can get you put in jail. The court awarded Obsidian, not the blogger, the company, $2.5 million in damages in 2011, saying that the blo that blogging was not journalism and so she was not protected under Oregon's media shield laws. But they later clarify that this doesn't mean all blogs and their decision was in part because Cox actually offered to remove those posts if Obsidian gave her money, which is a little bit blackmaily. Mm -hmm. But it actually was mostly overturned by the Ninth Circuit Court, which argued that a blogger can have some of the same protections as a journalist and can't be liable for defamation unless they acted act negligently. That is, if they lied. Which basically made it clear that bloggers have more or less the same rights as journalists. However, I think that they don't extend that if you are exhibiting harassing behaviors, even if it's all factual. Like, there's a guy right now who paid a wedding videographer and then his fiance died and he asked for the money back and they said no because it wasn't refundable. And he kept like, please give me my money back, please. And so they created a whole website about him and they actually posted a picture from that they had of the couple on the day that would have been their wedding and was like, life's tough, bro. Oh, that's shitty. That's shitty. It's harassing. And this guy was basically a Ponzi scheme person who went from place to place stealing people's money and never delivering on their returns. Ah. Uh. All right. So let's talk about right now. Okay. CNN reporter Omar Jimenez and his crew were arrested after showing press credentials and the officers refused to tell them why. Live on TV. They had press badges, a microphone, high quality news camera, but they weren't released until they could prove they were members of the press, which they did when they were asked to on live TV. You can clearly see them doing all of this on live TV with all the materials you need to shoot live TV. I'll tell you, that cameraman was a fucking hero. He just picked mm -hmm. up the microphone and was like, I'm going to keep reporting until yeah. they arrest me, which they did. They arrested mm -hmm. him last. And then they just left the camera in the middle of the road for anybody to steal. And... They they eventually confiscated it and left it on. So it was recording for a while. No, but then the police officer just put it on the ground and yeah. walked away. And so yeah. I don't know where the camera is now. I don't either. They also can't confiscate your camera. Yesterday, when I'm recording as of yesterday, local Louisville news reporter Caitlin Rust is seen on camera being shot with pepper bullets by a police officer in the area where they were allowed to be reporting. You can see the officer aimed directly at the camera camera as well, but I couldn't tell if he shot at the camera. He did shoot Caitlyn multiple times, though. You can hear her screaming, I'm being shot, I'm being shot. And then she realizes that they're not actual bullets and she's okay. But there's like this huge panic. And it's just one officer as far as I could tell, but it was like the scariest thing I've ever seen because he is staring down that camera with the gun barrel pointed at it. Denver Post photographer Hyung Chang was also hit with pepper bullets, cutting his arm and shattering his press badge. He said that he could have passed it off as an accident if it had been one shot, but it was the same officer twice who appeared to be aiming at him. Denver Post reporter, another Denver Post, Elise Schlemzer, Schlemzer had pepper bullets shot at her feet while wearing a reflective vest that said press. It's worth noting that Colorado, where both of these last things happened, literally has a law saying that anyone can photograph or record police. So in addition to having these freedom laws, they have a specific law saying that these people can do that. And you and I could also do it. Yep. A variety of other reporters have posted on Twitter that they have been tear gassed, shot with rubber and pepper bullets, and otherwise accosted by police, but these individual incidents have not made the news. One even showed a photo of a rubber bullet that hit him. I had no idea how fucking huge those are. Yeah, it's like a shotgun slug. They are huge. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, a shotgun slug, it's like, imagine like the front, the top knuckle of your thumb. It's like that, but like a little bit bigger. 
Yeah, I was looking at a picture of her bullets. They look like they're about an inch and a half across and two to three inches long. Yeah, they're huge. A study of 26 scientific reports showed that 3% of people shot with rubber bullets die. And 15.5% of people shot with rubber bullets have a permanent disability, including blindness or their spleens or sections of their bowels removed, in addition to traumatic brain injuries and other yeah. things. Yeah, people have organs removed because of these, but they're safe. Mm-hmm. They're safe. Though there haven't been any reports of reporters being tased, but we have seen individuals being tased. Tasing can result in immediate cardiac arrest, and there is no ethical way to test them. So they're just guessing. They've also been driving by bus stops and just, you know, macing the people at the bus mm-hmm. stop. Young Chang stated after all of this, I feel a little weird in this situation. News people and TV crews are being targeted. Jill Farshman, who is the CEO of the Colorado Press Association, agreed, saying, There seems to be a frightening trend of restraining and targeting reporters during protests and other civil unrest, even when clearly displaying press credentials. Let me say with clarity that any infringement on our First Amendment right to a free press not only undermines the safety of reporters, but oppresses the public's access to live news coverage, which is completely unacceptable. So she is saying that these police officers are violating First Amendment rights, in addition to putting people in unnecessary danger. The U.S. Press Freedom Tracker states that so far in 2020, five journalists have been arrested. Nine were arrested in 2019, and since 2017, 43 have been arrested while covering protests alone. So a lot of reporters getting arrested while doing what these people are doing. The First Amendment states that Congress won't impede on freedom of the press and later rulings supported not just that, but that other organizations and individuals can't do so either. But what about the police? They're not Congress. They are not the law. They just enforce the law. According to the Civil Rights Litigation Group, anyone, not just reporters who likely wouldn't do most of this anyway, are protected by law if they use slurs, heckle, or express any kind of distaste for law enforcement. They also point out that when an officer takes or breaks a recording device of a person or a reporter, First Amendment rights are being violated. So you can say basically anything you want to an officer as long as it is not a threat and... It's, it's under your First Amendment rights. Reporters aren't out there dissing the police. They're just reporting the news. And the videotape and photo- photographing thing is what the officers seem to be taking issue with. And not just the officers, but even like mayors and governors have been supporting them in this. The Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, knowing how dangerous protests are for reporters, has published an entire piece about how to protect yourself while covering a protest. They state that if police want to search or seize your equipment, you do not have to consent under your Fourth Amendment rights as well as laws protecting you as a journalist or individual for recording. So if we were recording something with the officers and they came over and said, give me your phone, we can say no. Yep. Now, I say that while noting that we are also both white. We are glow-in-the-dark white. Yes, we can say no safe, relatively safely. Chances are, if you were not white, you could not do so as safely. So white people, if you see something going down that shouldn't be going down, and not just with the police, but like in general, where like if you're in a store and somebody is threatening an employee, take out that camera. Like you have the right to videotape and you are keeping people safe. Anyway, officers interfering with a journalist is absolutely a violation of freedom of the press. They are employed by the government and acting as representatives thereof. Like anyone else, 
Officers can refuse to speak to the press, so they are under no obligation to speak to you. They can ask the press to move to a different area, and they can generally arrest them if they refuse to do so because they are it's a direct order from the police, and it's usually a safety issue like, hey, we're cordoning off this area, or hey, there are rioters coming, you need to leave. They can't ask you to stop reporting, they can just ask you to move. They can't interfere with their ability to report, and that includes intentionally shooting them with pepper bullets or threatening them or their equipment. Now, reporters have a reasonable assumption that if they're in a crowd, they might get hit with something. Yes. And tear gas is definitely a to whom it may concern. Yeah. That goes everywhere. It can affect breathing for blocks. So that does not infringe upon their First Amendment rights if they are part of a large crowd that has this happening. Unless it's a large crowd of journalists only. So like the, you know, White House press corps, somebody did that. It's First Amendment rights and also some like major assault charges at that point. But if so, if they're targeting the reporters individually, it is a violation of the First Amendment rights. If they are going after a group, it's not. At the end of the day, the press is largely free to do what they want to do except lie or commit crimes like breaking and entering. You can't break into a building to go do a news report. Live from inside Dave's house, we find out what he's having for breakfast. What are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And the police are the ones who are in the wrong when they try to stop them. That is the tr- that is true of any government representative. For instance, there's a government official in Tennessee who issued legislation that would make it official that... I think it was CNN and the Washington Post, I didn't write this down, are fake news. That's stupid. Mm -hmm. That is really stupid. So we have this on the micro through the macro levels of government where people are still trying to infringe upon the press's right to do their jobs. We even had that one member of the press corps not allowed to go on a major trip because she said something that Trump didn't like. That is in violation of her First Amendment rights. Now, they probably could have said, we need to replace you with a different reporter and and given them ample time to do so. That probably would have been allowed. But just saying, nope, fuck you, not allowed. So I'm not, this is not me saying cops are going after journalists. I'm saying cops can't go after journalists. And we have we have observed cops going after yes, journalists. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. It's not an... This is what, one of those things where if you are a representative of the government in any way, you can't stop the press from doing their jobs. Probably even if you're a teacher and you're employed by a public school, you probably couldn't stop the press from doing their jobs. I know, yeah, in in my capacity at the library, we can't stop the press from doing their jobs. We just can say, like, we have just been told, like, if someone from the press comes in, don't answer their questions. Just say, oh, yeah, here's the phone number for our media relations person. Call them. You can talk to them. Mm -hmm. Don't talk to them. That's, like, the extent of it. Yeah, we see this a lot, like, in sitcoms where people start talking to the press, like Michael Scott, and they don't really know what's going on. So if you're being asked to speak on anything even remotely related to your job, just say... You need to contact somebody higher up than me. I just work here. It's like, you don't want my thoughts and opinions. It'll just embarrass all of us. And if you're the CEO, you can tell them to contact your lawyer. Yep. Like, no individual citizen is required to speak to the the press, unless they're like a press person who is their job. Yeah. But, and that's not violating freedom of the press. All right. So, to wrap up, I, I like to end with quotes when I can. As Supreme Court Justice Hugo Black stated after New York Times Company versus the United States, the press was to serve the governed, not the governors. Yes. So the press is here, in theory, for us. Good for them. Are you ready for some questions? I am ready for some questions. Will the fact that press includes video games be on the test? Yeah, it absolutely will be, because then the kids will get interested. Mm-hmm. Will the fact that reporters can be forced to disclose sources be on the test? 
I will say yes, but it's going to be like on a high school level test because it's a very confusing list of requirements and it's on a case by case thing. So there's some nuance to it. Yeah. And the majority of them, I skipped a whole paragraph in here, but it's it was just a summary. The majority of them, as far as I could tell, even at the grand jury level, refuse and spend about three months in jail instead. Yeah. I mean, their employers will pay any fees because that's the ethical thing to do. I promised this person anonymity. It was the only way to get my story. I'll go to jail for that. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying all journalists are ethical, Fox News, but most journalists are just trying to do their job. Yeah. Will the fact that telling the truth can be called defamation be on the test? Again, depends on the grade level. Elementary school, absolutely not. <laughs> High school, maybe. Uh, will the fact that the press can't be held liable for false information if they didn't know it was false be on the test? Yeah, because that's just kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, and that's also a good lesson. It's like, you may say something because you think it's true. And even if it's wrong, it doesn't mean you're a liar. Yeah, and I actually really hate that when people are saying, you're lying, you're lying, to people who don't know they're lying. It's like, you were misinformed briefly. People take so much offense at the word ignorant when it really just means you don't know about this. So, Well, they're, I think they're just ignorant about what ignorant means. <laughs> I'll show myself out. Um. Oh my goodness, this... Brought me back to something you asked earlier, and I can't remember what it was. Was it about Ponzi schemes? No, was it about yeah. Podcast Wax, our new sponsor? Uh, I'm blanking. Will the fact that police cannot interfere with reporters' rights to be on-site recording and reporting be on the test? Yes. So that is freedom of the press. They can basically do what they want, when they want, as long as they're not breaking any actual laws. Yeah, and that's where it gets tricky because like in an emergency situation, it's like you like you need to comply with police orders yes. or you need to like and trespassing and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, burden of proof. That's what you brought up. Burden early. of proof. Burden of proof lies on the prosecution or on the plaintiff, yep. never on the defendant. So if somebody comes in saying you lied about me in the news, they have to be able to prove that you knew it was a lie. All right. So what'd you learn today? I learned that it can only be defamation if you're telling the truth. So I need to state, begin every sentence with, I think. Yes. If you frame things like we learned in the Cox case, if you frame things as opinion, then you're pretty safe overall. That's how Fox News still functions, by the way. By F- FCC regulations, I think like 90 minutes a day of their sh- programming is actual news. The rest of it is Fox News opinion. So yeah. they can just say, say whatever shit However, they if they throw things that are definitely factual in there... Well, that would require can... journalism, and I guarantee you we're not going to see that out of Fox well, News. It's really compli- it's complicated and convoluted. If you're writing something that's an opinion, but you include things that are hard facts in there, you have to show how these hard facts are forming your opinion and not basically make grammatical errors or syntax errors that will make it seem like the facts and your opinions are the same. Because in that case, in that case, you can help be held responsible. So um, you can't see it right now, but there's a certain like glow in Maddie's eyes she gets whenever she's talking about grammar and editing. And she has it right now. So she is super excited about this. Yeah. Like, I mean, I am a writer and editor. That's what I do. And When I wrote for different sources and I wrote opinion pieces, I had to be very clear that this is my personal experience or this is my opinion or these are the statistics. Here's how I formed my opinion based on them. You can't just say, you know, 50% of people are left-handed as a statistic and then say, this means that 50% of people are in league with the devil. You would have to say, this is why I believe 50% of people are in league with the devil. Wow. That's right. Oh my God. 50% of people are in league with the devil. Yes, but not because of their left-handedness. Okay. It's because of the pacts they made with the devil. Exactly. So what did you learn? I learned that you shouldn't flee to Florida. I know, especially if you're out on bail, because Florida will catch you. 
Florida's got Florida man to worry about. They are going to have no problem with your white collar crime committing white ass. You're not on meth. You don't have a crocodile with you. I listened to this other podcast. They were talking. You didn't feed your husband to a tiger. They were talking to a forensic meteorologist and they actually were like, okay, we got to ask, why is Florida like, like Florida is? And she's like, it's because of all the sunshine. It makes you go crazy. That explains why everyone in Seattle is so well adjusted. (laughs) No, like crimes, crime rates go up in the summer and it's not just because it's warm enough to go out. It's because you are getting like constant like sensory input. Like I can't go into the science of it. I'd actually have to research it more because this is just my understanding of it. But basically the sunshine after a while makes you go kind of mad. Good to know. So this I want- is why we stay inside all the time. We're already crazy enough. Mm-hmm. Well, we are on the social medias. You can find us on Twitter at OnTheTestPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OnTheTestPod, on Instagram at OnTheTestPod, and our website OnTheTestPod.com. And I just want to say it again, we don't intentionally not have transcripts anymore. It's that since, like we mentioned earlier, we don't make any money off of this and the free service we were using is now gone. We can't afford transcripts. But the, we found a workaround for you people. If you want transcripts, um, we've I was using Google Meet to play uh, Dungeons and Dragons because I'm a huge nerd. And they have an auto caption thing that works frighteningly well. And it gets most stuff right, except for like, you know, weird fancy names like Demigorgon. But I'm guessing it doesn't create a transcript that you can print. It does not. Yeah, so we can't use a, use that for our purposes. But you can absolutely like, you know, caption us, I guess, with that. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't recommend it. Tell your friends. Tell your friends to follow us. Tell your friends to listen to us. Hit subscribe. Download. The download numbers are what actually is recorded. Yep. And. Right. Right. Give us a review. Right. Nice things about us. Five stars. We are vain people. We want to hear what, how great you think we are. A one star review will legitimately send me into a sadness spiral. Do you really want to send someone into a sadness spiral this week of all weeks? So, like, we are open to feedback. We are open to suggestions. Find us on our socials and we will have a nice conversation with you. I can honestly say, and I think I mentioned this before, I've never left a below a five-star review on a podcast because, nope. you know, it's not helping anybody. I would if they were, like, using the N-word all the time or something. I'd be like, and they were white supremacists. I'd be like, mm, don't listen to this. They're white supremacists. Otherwise, yeah, either open a dialogue or just stop listening. If you're, if you made it this far, why are you still listening if you don't like us? Yeah, I mean, it's like, what, what, 37 episodes in? Something like that. I don't even know anymore. We've been doing this a long time. We've been doing this for 87 years. Well, I guess on that note, class class dismissed. dismissed.